from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. We are coming to you from these United States of America via the magical technology of the internet and radio and all things in between. I'm Bo Bonner out here at Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the director of mission and ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the director of the Zeta Institute. You can catch us at mchs.edu. But out there in Pittsburgh, what do you do? Tell the good people. I'm holding down the fort here in beautiful, sunny Pittsburgh at the National Institute for Newman Studies. You can read more at uh, newmanstudies.org. Now, beautiful and sunny, bud. That is not uh, what we are experiencing here out uh, the old Iowa wilderness. We have been rainy, and it's 40-something degrees right now. Uh, It really decided to become winter in a hurry, not winter, of course, but fall. Uh, and that was after having a 90-degree day over the weekend. So Pittsburgh, you guys still uh, sunny climbs out where you're at? Yeah, full disclosure, I was picking on you all a bit. Um, so the, <laughs> the background, my dad, as he's gotten older, he loves really hot weather. Like he would move to Arizona in a second if uh, all of his grandchildren pretty much didn't live in Omaha. And so he's really been, you know, August, we had some triple digit days there in Nebraska and things. But I talked to him last night on the phone. He said it was a little bit of whiplash for you guys. That's right. The sort of joke that we're seeing all over the good old internet meme board is the weather went from going 90 to 45 like it saw a cop or something like that. (laughs) So I thought that was a pretty good way to put it. Um, yeah, you know, not to make too bold of a claim right here at the very top of the show, but I just realized, but that, um, maybe people who are getting older don't mind global warming because they're cold all the time. Yeah. You know, I should be careful what I say on air about like family questions, but my dad has kind of a bad knee (laughs) and I think, I think the warm weather might loosen it up a little bit. Either that or he's just, you know. I mean, we all wonder why he's out there sunbathing in the front lawn. Um, (laughs) Consequences be darned. (laughs) The Nebraska Sun, uh, the Nebraska Sunbathing Corporation, started by Wardmar. I like that idea. Um, Well, speaking of um, people who can help you with any ailments you might have, uh, Mercy College of Health Science always underwriting our show, helping the next group of people that will help you rain or shine uh, when it comes to whatever ailments you have. MCHS.edu. We started the fall semester yesterday, bud, and this is one of the later dates that we've started. But that was, of course, because we pushed back uh, in order to make sure that everybody was accommodated with COVID, with the summer, and everything like that. But quite an exciting time of year to get started, especially with everything else going on. Yeah, late start, but um, I'm teaching bioethics this fall at Mercy College. And uh, as usual, just excited to see the crop of really bright students that I have in that course. So, you know, uh, COVID, bad weather, they're kind of, (laughs) Mercy College is like the postal service. What is it, rain, snow, or gloom? Yeah, that's right. 
or pandemic. <laughs> uh, we, we're we're going we're gonna to try to make it work out. But yes, Mercer's College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu. Thank you for underwriting our show. So, um, yeah, but uh, other than uh, whiplashing weather, uh, and I, I think that we have, you know, the convergence of many stories, uh, if that's what 2020 is about, is how um, the news cycle keeps looping back into itself. Um, you know, we've never approached some of the issues, for instance, like all of the wildfires uh, or yeah. the, the many, many um, wrong-headed but hilarious memes uh, making fun of gender reveals parties and the utter carnage they can evidently devastate on human life. Uh, but I know that two, if not three, of the major issues that we've been talking about, one of them is uh, so the, the unique aspects of doing medical care within um, the COVID crisis as it goes on. Um, reading interesting articles, for instance, um, there's uh, an article that, for instance, prenatal births seem to be down during the middle of the COVID crisis. So that's sort of like an intersection of yeah. uh, what's going on there. Uh, but then also, of course, uh, the sort of idea of um, where do we look at the, the racial injustices and discrimination and difficulties that we're facing, obviously a topic that everybody uh, is talking about, and rightly so. And then finally, we have uh, the, the perennial question about what does it mean to be pro-life in 2020 as a Catholic? And the person that we're having on today, I think, is someone who's going to do a fantastic job of time at the intersection of all three of these sort of concerns, what it, what it means to do medicine in the COVID crisis, what that has to do with racial uh, disparities, but especially in healthcare, and what does it mean to be pro-life? And so our guest is Rebecca Christian, who is a doula, who is a pro-life doula at Fiat Doula Services um, out in San Diego. Uh, she uh, has wonderful uh, Twitter feed that I had the chance to follow and get to know her through that. But we're very much looking uh, to get to talk to her and see about how the ramifications of these charged subjects all actually overlap. Yeah, I'm going to sound like a real nerd here, Bo, but one of my favorite parts in the Lord of the Rings tr trilogy is when, um, oh, I'm blanking the Hobbit's name, Frodo. He's watching the devastation of um, caused by the war between the forces of good, forces of evil. And he says to Gandalf, I believe, like, um, you know, why did I have to be born during this time? He really bemoans what he witnesses before him. And the response of this wise uh, sage wizard is like, uh, we don't choose the time that we're born into, but what to do with the time that's given to us. And uh, despite all the difficulties of this year, I think you're right. Um, what's happened has focused our attention even more on questions about the common good and social justice. And I think the topic for today is a great intersection of some of the the issues we've been discussing throughout the summer. And so, folks, that's what we're going to talk about when we get back here with The Uncommon Good. Speaking with our uh, doula, pro-life Catholic doula, Rebecca Christian, this is The Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, and we will be back right after this. <laughs> folks, if you have questions or comments for The Uncommon Good, easy to leave them. All you have to use is the zip with line. 515-223-1150, 515-223-1150, the Zip Whip Line. Always enjoy hearing our Indiana Jones sound effect here in the morning, but 515-223, uh, <laughs> sorry, good one. 515-223-1150, you can text in, leave questions, leave comments, 
Let us know what you're up to. If you really want to make sure that it's specific to the show, hashtag UCG for the uncommon good, or you can leave questions uh, about the radio station in general, maybe the upcoming Carathon there as well. The Zip Whip Block. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. This is the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, and we will be back right after this. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Faith on Trial provided by Paul Martin and Paul Mitchell, owners of Imogene Ingredients. Imogene Ingredients supply specialized feed ingredients for livestock and pet diets to improve maternal and young animal health in both conventional and organic production. Information about Pharmatan and other products at ImogeneIngredients.com. Paul and Paul are members of St. Augustine's Knights of Columbus and encourage their brother knights to keep standing for their faith. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference for Our Searching Souls, Friday and Saturday, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. Speakers include Father Donald Calloway, Sister Miriam James, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Mirjana Soldo, Magnus McFarlane Barrow, Steve Angrisano, and Iowa Catholic Radio's John Leonetti. Tickets and information are available through ChristOurLifeIowa.com. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena, ChristOurLifeIowa.com. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Martin joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for taking your time to listen to us today. On the show today, we have a very special guest, uh, Rebecca Christian. She lives in San Diego. She is a pro-life doula who has a a website that you can check out her philosophy, her theology, her understanding of what she does, fiatdoulaservices.com, doulas, D-O-U-L-A, by the way, fiatdoulaservices.com. And we wonderfully welcome her to the show. Rebecca, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And first of all, I want to say thank you for making sure to wake up. I know you're on West Coast time, so we appreciate you waking up early for us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I had to set a reminder and then set another one. So. <laughs> well, um, uh, I guess uh, one thing to start out with, so when we, when we get into understanding what we're talking about, in case people don't know what a doula is and what they do, if you don't mind summing that up real quick before we dive into the other questions we have for today. Yeah, so a doula is essentially a professional childbirth support person. So there's different kinds of doulas. Um, I am a birth and postpartum doula. So 
that's the majority of what I'm supporting. Um, I also do some bereavement work uh, with miscarriage. And so sometimes when I'm talking to parents, I explain doula support as really parent support. So when you're having a baby, you know, you go to your doctor, you go to your midwife, you're having all of your clinical work kind of handled. But outside of those, you know, 30-minute to hour-long appointments, there's lots of other things to prepare for, to learn about, um, especially about, like, especially now in the age of COVID, I've been walking people through, like, what giving birth really looks like and physically supporting people at birth. Um, and I also do some postpartum work, so I'm essentially teaching moms about, like, breastfeeding and how to take care of the newborn that they sent you home with without any sort of instruction manual and um, <laughs> what is normal in terms of, you know, your healing process and things of that nature. So I'm really, um, we're allied healthcare workers, so we're working with families outside of those clinical settings giving them all the support and information they would need that isn't necessarily clinical, but is really important information that you need. I'm telling you, I've had, we've had five in the Bonner clan, two uh, miscarriages as well. And reading your website, I just think about all the different times that if I had known Rebecca Christensen before, uh, Christian, excuse me, for 2020, I could have actually had a, a lot more uh, help uh, in my, I think my wife too. So the, just reading your website and what services you provide, um, uh, I think it, it, it's something for people to go look at, even if you are yourself not planning on having um, a baby, maybe to look and, and start to conceive about what ways that, like you said, allied health, that health is more than just the simple clinical setting and it's a much broader communal aspect to what we do when we bring people into the world. And, and I think on that note, I guess that's the next question I would ask is, you know, it's easy for all discussions in the political realm, in the medical realm, and even in the realm of talking about the church to stay at abstractions, uh, the sort of 30,000 foot view. Um, it seems to me when we talk about being pro-life in the Catholic church, uh, you really are in the sort of trenches. You're where the rubber hits the road about being pro-life, about helping exactly mothers bring life into the world. Uh, do you think that that's, do, you know, fair to say, do you see that informing the way you go about doing the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a common question I get, like, you know, how does your faith influence, you know, what you do? And to be honest, when I became a doula and I did some, like, Googling, I was surprised at, like, how little information there is about, like, being Catholic and, you know, having a baby, even just for parents. Um, one of the few things I did come across was um, Pope Pius XII's letter to midwives, which really talks about how um, midwives should be approaching families. And I think that's probably the single document that has influenced me the most. I really try to think about birth as sacred and birth as one of those really important family events that can impact, you know, future generations of people. It's kind of like birth, weddings, funerals. Those are the big events that we should view as sacred. But depending on, you know, someone's beliefs, or what they have access to and just culture, it's very easy to um, forget faith 
in those contexts. And so I really try to help parents just connect to um, having sort of a generational mindset. That this isn't just about, you know, blowing something up at a gender reveal or about, like, cute clothes. This is really about welcoming a whole other person who is a gift into their family. Rebecca, this is Bud Marr. Um, in my own family, about half of our children have been born in hospitals and half at, at birthing centers. And uh, the the contrast between those two was on my wife's radar much more than it was on mine when we first got married. Um, one thing that I was struck by the, the first time we went to a birthing center was the way the midwives um, kind of viewed things differently. Um, and I, I know we corresponded by email and you said, you know, of course, everything that you do and say, you don't want to be like anti-hospital, but our first experience in a hospital was, was tough. And part of it was that I felt like some of the staff there, maybe they, they just by default looked at my wife as maybe like a patient, like, um, like a, like a sick person in a way, but of course with mothers, that's, that's not the case. And I was wondering if you could just talk for our listeners about the way that midwives, you know, think about motherhood and also the birth process and how that maybe can, can change or impact even the outcomes that um, birthing mothers experience. Yeah. So you, you've touched on um, kind of the dichotomy that we experience in America because our healthcare system is very hospital-led when it comes to maternity care versus, like, say, our European neighbors where if you're pregnant and you have a low-risk pregnancy, which is about 85% of all pregnancies, you will be seeing a midwife even in a hospital setting. Whereas here, um, someone kind of has to know what a midwife is and kind of seek one out, whether it's in hospital or out of hospital in a birth center or in, like, a home birth setting. Um, So that's, like, one of the huge differences that we experience here. Um, Midwifery care is different than obstetric care. Obstetricians are surgeons because they can do C-sections, and their training is much more, um, I don't want to say medical because midwives are also medical clinical providers, but it's a lot more risk-focused, whereas the model of care for midwifery is more mother focused and they come from the perspective that birth is totally normal. Normal is a spectrum and therefore we don't necessarily need to introduce a lot of interventions unless we need to. Um, You may have noticed also that the language that they use is different. So in an obstetric setting, they may say like, Oh, let's talk about your delivery. We're going to deliver the baby. Whereas a midwife is going to say that she's receiving the baby. Really, the mother is delivering the baby. She's doing all the work. We're really just there to, to catch the baby and, you know, flip the cord from around the neck. Um, unless there is some sort of complication where, um, you know, you would need to be in a high-risk setting, which would be in a hospital. So I've also heard midwives say that, the um, their model is more mother-centered in terms of what the mother wants. Um, you know, you can have a midwife in a hospital, you can have a midwife in a birth center, you can have a midwife at home. 
usually the mother is driving the birth plan, whereas when you're in an obstetric setting, the the OBGYN's kind of, like, attitude and the hospital rules, they're the ones kind of driving, you know, um, if an induction is going to happen, when it's going to happen, um, whether or not you're going to be confined to a bed or confined to a room, especially in the age of COVID. So it's, it's a little more um, regulations-focused, whereas midwifery care is really focused on what does the family want, obviously within reason. Um, so those are some of, like, the big differences that, since you've had births in both settings, you've probably noticed. Well, and, and on that note, I think that that sort of points to the next direction of questions we want to ask. When you understand the birthing process, like you said, in terms of sort of deliverables, right, delivery itself, or here is a problem, here's how you fix it, that it's a part of a sort of um, federated, uh, you know, plan within the, the hospital and the medical world, then you have to start thinking about things like, expense? How long are they going to be in a bed? How many people are going to be a part of the birth? I, and I'm now talking like someone who's received five bills <laughs> from, from mm-hmm. uh, you know, having children and thinking about all the places that money goes. And this is not to, like you said, to, um, you know, poo-poo the idea of all the great work that people do. But this starts to point to maybe questions about, well, what about difficulties when it comes uh, to, to birth? Why is it that the United States has such difficulty for the developed world when it comes to things like uh, maternal death rates? Uh, and when this is specifically the case in, in certain communities, uh, especially minority communities, we start to understand that what might start to be the problem is the way in which we've set up uh, the world of birthing children that, that we might start to see why there are people that fall through the cracks. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality death rate in the industrialized world. Um, When you compare us to like Canada, France, Sweden, um, England, other European countries, they're usually in the low to mid single digits whereas we are consistently in the teens and the 20s year after year. Um, Since the 1990s, the number has actually grown. There's a lot of reasons for this. Um, I'm a doula, so I really harp on our model of care. I mean, our care model is, one, very obstetric-focused, whereas midwifery is... um, you know, the primary form of care in all of those other countries, even within a hospital system, Um, as well as just the fact that birth is very expensive here. I serve a very wide range of clients, um, all the way up to people who are very wealthy. And I've had actually had a couple of people call me and say, well, can I just pay cash? Like, what what does the birth cost? And it's like, well, you can call, you know, hospital billing and ask them, you're probably not going to get a straight answer because that's kind of just the way billing works here in America. And it's also the way that we do postpartum care here. 
or rather we don't really do postpartum care. So typically, um, you know, most people in the country are giving birth in a hospital. You have your baby, hopefully everything's fine. You're going home within 24 to 72 hours, whether you had a vaginal delivery or a C-section. And we kind of just wrap people up and send them home and we don't see them for six weeks, which is not the norm necessarily in other places and it's not the norm in delivery care if you are being served um if you, like if you had a home birth or you had a birth center birth you're usually being seen within a few days um, there's usually like a one-week visit i know some midwives who will do like you know 24 hours 72 hours one week three weeks six weeks whereas here we're just kind of generally doing that one to six week visit but when we're talking about maternal mortality, um, that definition extends beyond just what happens at the birth. It's actually a death that would be due to um, pregnancy or pregnancy complications. Up to most studies, it's up to 42 days, but it can actually extend out for an entire year, depending on what kind of complication we're talking about. Um, I had actually an emergency situation last year with a client who was bleeding internally and after a C-section, and she didn't realize it. I was doing a postpartum shift. I was working in her house and talking to her about some of the symptoms she was experiencing, and I was like, she didn't really understand um, that this was like a 911 situation, and I was kind of like, okay, everyone grab your shoes, grab your wallets, you need to go to the hospital because this is serious. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it turned out that right. um, one of her veins wasn't cauterized correctly, and she was actually internally bleeding. So I don't think I need to explain that, like, internal bleeding was bad. You, you, she could have absolutely died. And so had I not been there <laughs> to recognize right. the symptoms, you know, this woman could have died. And when you look at the stories of some of these women who have died due to pregnancy complications, it's because they're not being seen by any sort of professional apart from a pediatrician, but that's for the baby, for six weeks. Now, ACOG, which is the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, they're kind of like the sort of governing think tank for um, obstetric care, they changed the recommendations um, for the six-week checkup that it should be three weeks. Um, I have yet to see that um, implemented widespread. I read a study once that said it takes about 30 years for those kind of changes to like be implemented all across the country. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've been doing wow. it for years. It kind of seems like it <laughs> from what I've seen. Um, right. And I've actually had to, like, inform my own clients that, like, hey, you know, the recommendations have changed. You can ask your OB, you know, can you be seen? But obviously I'm in contact with my clients for those sort of emergency situations. And, you know, going to um, just the breakdown of these numbers, yes, it is true that when you look at racial divisions, those numbers kind of get even worse, especially for black women and for Native women. So... In comparison to, say, white women, black women die at three to five times the rate of white women, even when you consider economics, education, and marital status. Like, most people think it's like, oh, they don't have access to prenatal care. It's actually not true. Um, there have been accounts from celebrities like Serena Williams and things uh, who've, you know, been impacted by these discrepancies in our model of care. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack there, and we're unfortunately coming up to the break here soon. So we'll 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 go to the break and come back and and really get into this. But I mean, I think about you know when people go, well, how does something like this happen? You see, you're talking about uh, the client that you were luckily there to you know like just thank God you were there to to, to see this happening. But you know, just to warn anyone, if you have children. Even when it's just dad. So, you know, I hardly did anything. Uh, you know, the newborn days are a fog of craziness that it's, it, you know, you, you, you forget if you've ate. Like the idea that we're yeah. kind of going to like lone ranger it and send people home to notice catastrophically bad things that could be happening to them. Especially when, you know, you, you're new or if it's the first time or it's the first time facing this uh I, it makes perfect sense what you're saying is that if we don't have the nets kept, uh, you know, kept wide, um, you know, this even goes down to things like families being further apart from each other. So there's less people in the house to even notice if, you know, mom is acting uh, funny or different or things like this. So, um, I, you know, the, 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 the sort of basic just stuff you say about, well, what does it mean to, to have basic ways that we can be there up to the birth, but then well after, you start to see why there's simple things we can do, but then also why the difficulties are so much more complex than that. And so we're, we're going to come up to the break here. And when we get back, um, a foundationally important discussion, and I'm so glad that we're having today, we'll get into um, the idea of how all this relates to the common good, and particularly when we talk about discrepancies in healthcare, especially racial discrepancies uh, in the maternity death rate and how that relates to the common good. This is the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Stick around. We'll be back right after these messages. Folks, if you want to keep up with Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do. All you got to do is use our internet presence. You can go to iowacatholicradio.com and do things like listen live if you have a connection to the internet. Follow us, uh, what we're up to by signing up to our newsletters, donating to keep this ministry afloat, and seeing pictures of radio hosts, including Bud and I, if you are very, very, very bored. You can also go to Facebook, look up Iowa Catholic Radio, and then friend us, and through the magic of Mark Zuckerberg's mind, you can then be our Facebook friend and see what we're up to uh, throughout the week's in days and months and years. Finally, you can go to uh, Twitter, where you can follow us at, at IA Catholic Radio, see what we're up to through our tweets, and then not just, I remember one more, you can download the Iowa Catholic Radio app, and there, again, if you have a data connection, you can listen live, you can see what's up with other things, donate, all those ways to stay clued in to Iowa Catholic Radio. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference for Our Searching Souls, Friday and Saturday, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. Speakers include Father Donald Calloway, Sister Miriam James, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, Mirjana Soldo, Magnus McFarlane Barrow, Steve Angrisano, and Iowa Catholic Radio's John Leonetti. Tickets and information are available through ChristOurLifeIowa.com. The Christ Our Life Catholic Conference, September 26th and 27th at Wells Fargo Arena. ChristOurLifeIowa.com. Thank you, Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, for sponsoring my show. John Lee and Eddie in the Morning on Iowa Catholic Radio. Golden Rule, servicing Des Moines for over 15 years. They obey the rules to live by, especially the Golden Rule. Online at goldenrulephc.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Iowa ENT Center. Expert ear, nose, and throat care for adults and children. 
Find out how you can support Iowa Catholic Radio at iowacatholicradio.com or 515-223-1150. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and John Leonetti in the Morning is provided by Five Sons Naturescapes. Five Sons Naturescapes is a Catholic veteran-owned family company providing premium outdoor landscaping. Learn more about Five Sons Naturescapes at fivesonsnaturescapes.com. fivesonsnaturescapes.com. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. Showers and thunderstorms and breezy through the afternoon will be in the low 50s. Overnight looks like upper 40s, breezy with more showers, rain in upper 50s tomorrow. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy, outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation, seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Common Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday on Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you for tuning into the show. We are back with our guest, Rebecca Christian, a Catholic Christian doula out on the West Coast in San Diego, who has been talking to us about midwifery, uh, the understanding of motherhood and the theology and theory behind it when it comes to the Catholic understanding of motherhood, but specifically about, so to speak, pro-life issues on the ground, maternity difficulties, disparities, and all of that. Rebecca, thank you for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. All right, Bud, I know that we uh, you had a question, but we were closing out uh, towards the break, so I'm going to throw it over to you uh, to ask the first question. Yeah, Rebecca, you've kind of already touched on this a bit, but I, I know uh, with birth, as with a lot of other um, elements in our society, that your social class and your location in society can have um, a real big impact on that entire experience. And uh, I was wondering if you'd be willing to speak to some of the challenges faced maybe by those who are coming from um, a lower socioeconomic place. And for yourself, like if you think about policy measures or, or changes to the practice, how could we as a country better serve pregnant mothers? Yeah. I mean, I, I've served a very wide range of clientele. I also do some volunteering. So I've worked with people who were homeless, referred to me through charities. I've worked with, um, you know, asylum seekers who may not even speak English all the way to, I've had a couple of clients who were professional athletes. So I've kind of seen, um, how our current system can impact people regardless of where they come from. And quite frankly, maternity care is kind of where I think the medical system sort of falls off the rails, even when you have money, because it's not necessarily about money. It's about know-how and having the knowledge of, um, you know, differences between obstetric care and midwifery care and, you know, not necessarily that one is better than the other, but just knowing that you have those options. You know, in where I am in San Diego, it's actually one of the better places to give birth in the country because we do have 
home birth practices, we do have birth centers and hospitals. And actually, my favorite hospital has a birth center inside of it. Um, but whether or not you know that comes down to, you know, what was your background before you got pregnant? And did you know that you wanted to have you know, a natural birth? Did you know that you wanted to have a midwife? So, I mean, one of the first things I think that we could do is just revamp how we even talk about giving birth. I mean, there's, there's a really, there's a quote that a lot of doulas and midwives will use that like, I don't really care what you choose in terms of your birth plan. I care that you know that you had options and you made the best one for you. Whereas for most people, they just don't have the knowledge at all that they have those options. And it can impact, you know, your birth experience, your postpartum experience. It can impact whether or not someone wants to continue to have babies. You know, I get calls from people where, you know, they're excited about their pregnancy, but the only thing that they really know about birth is the scary story that they heard from their coworker or their cousin or their sister. And so then I have to kind of like go back and explain everything fundamentally. And most of the time people didn't know that there are actually several options for them. So I think just fundamentally just changing the way we talk about birth, changing birth culture. Um, I would love to see the model that we have in San Diego implemented in other places. Um, our community is pretty collaborative with COVID, I haven't been able to attend births in the hospital for the last few months, but that's changing because our state health department just um, changed its recommendations. But, you know, in normal times, most of the time I'm welcome in any setting. The parents' plans are welcome in any setting, but that experience is not necessarily the norm, especially in places like the South, where I think sometimes doctors and hospitals can kind of have this adversarial attitude toward doulas, which is really unfortunate and really unnecessary because when you look at what empirically actually changes maternal mortality rates, it is having access to a doula. It is having access to a midwife. And so I would love to see, you know, widespread implementation across the country of those things. Well, Rebecca, I think that gets to an interesting point to to really emphasize, which is there's a way in which policy has to happen, but if there's not sort of a soul-searching in a a greater um, societal level, things don't change um, as easy, I think, as sometimes people think. I think sometimes people think it's a policy light switch, and of course you need to have it. I'm not arguing that at all, but that's like the beginning in order for there to be the dominoes that need to fall for there to be changed. So you mentioned the South and the sort of adversarial uh, relationship between uh, doctors and doulas. I would actually say that being someone who grew up in the South, there's just an adversarial relationship with medicine in general. Um, I know so (laughs) many family members who uh, have literal crises that they all know are coming down the chute. There is so much cancer and heart disease, for instance, in both sides of my family but they all have this sort of almost ancestral trepidation about trusting doctors with the worst thing. And maybe some of it's wishful thinking. If I don't go to the doctor, I won't hear bad news, but certainly it points to different experiences. They all had growing up 
in the South, especially my mother's side of the family growing up poor, whatever that might be. I know that that carries over, for instance, for me as something like dentists. Like I know there's dentists out there listening and I know in my heart, you're all good people, but as an Oklahoman, don't get me started on dentists. Um, I'm throwing that out as a sort of like, oh, just like reflection on my family. But I think this gets to the root talking about disparities is that it's not for no reason that uh, minorities, the impoverished, uh, African-American community, natives, uh, immigrants have worries about utilizing the system we do have, let alone the improvements we can have in that system. And so when people look at the, the, like you said, the racial disparities across economic class when it comes to African-American mothers, it, it, when it, is that the sort of element that people begin to, to miss? Is that there's a reason that people have these trepidations and that we need to take them far more seriously than we do? Yeah, yeah. What you're getting at is really systemic racism that lingers in healthcare to this day. Um, you know, it's, there's been a lot of, you know, drama and upheaval within our country the past few months, but I think one of the good things that is coming out of it is that people are really starting to pay attention to, hey, why do we have these COVID disparities? Why is the maternal mortality rate the way that it is? I mean, using myself as an example, I am Black for those who don't know. Um, I was born in the 80s. My mom was born in the 60s. So if I look at my direct ancestral line, meaning myself, my parents, and my grandparents, and so on and so forth, I was the first person who wasn't born during some sort of legal, socially fortified uh, system of racial discrimination. So when we're talking about things like racism and segregation, it was about more than just, you know, who could drink at what water fountain or who could eat where. It was about disenfranchising people in every single area of life, including in medical care. So that meant, you know, who had access to health care, what the quality of that health care was, whether or not you were able to become a medical professional. And so when we're looking at, you know, poor people, minority communities, we can't ignore the fact that for a lot of us who are walking around today, we're actually only one or two generations removed from those systems where we didn't really have access to health care. And that's part of why we see the problems that we do today. Rebecca, one thing we've tried to address on the show in the past is about how sometimes, you know, living out the faith can be not a matter or it should transcend, excuse me, I'll back up. Our commitments as Catholics should transcend, you know, the sort of like um, divides that party politics will sometimes try to like uh, lasso us into. I think with the kind of issues that you're discussing today this is a great example and um i guess with your work and um, experience over the years like for our listeners as we think about being pro-life if we want to move beyond just sort of like well that means i vote a certain way like what is it um in your view what does it look like to be pro-life you know in a holistic way uh every day of of the year what does it mean to be pro-life every single day of the year? I mean, again, I think it's, it's looking inward, like what is our attitude towards people? Are we really, um, are we really acting on the preferential option for the poor? 
personally, in my opinion, birth justice, birth equity, which is what we're talking about, this is like a slam dunk issue that should unite pro-lifers and pro-choicers. I follow lots of people. I'm in communication and I work with lots of different people who have various, um, various views on things like abortion. But like this thing is the thing that we're all a united front on. Unfortunately, I will say, I think that this issue is brand new to the pro-life movement, like brand new two weeks ago. And it really shouldn't have been. And it needs to be pushed to the forefront of our understanding of what it means to be a holistically pro-life country because we get criticized all the time for being, you know, forced birth or just pro-birth. And I have to say, like, sometimes I agree with those people because, you know, I see every day how some of these disparities are affecting these different populations, people who look like me, people who are in my own family. And then when I want to talk about it with pro-lifers, Sometimes we can't even get on the same page about whether systemic racism really exists. So I think, you know, really looking at our hearts, really looking at our understanding of history, I think one of the things that's shocking people right now is just how they're realizing how ahistorical um, some of the things that they have believed for a long time really are. And so really learning and looking at even just like the history of Catholic hospitals and Catholic care. Like, have we always been truly serving the poor? I think in many cases, yes. In some cases, definitely not. And what can we do to address um, those communities in the year 2020? Rebecca, I think this is a great way to one more time. I mean, if people are listening to the show, they know that we constantly come back to this. So that they got to know what's coming, which is to talk about, how this has everything to do with the common good. This is not an amalgamation of uh, individuals' uh, rights or needs that we're attending to. It's not even a sort of accounting book about this race versus this race, this group versus this group. The common good, by definition, is the highest good any individual can enjoy, but can only enjoy in common. The, The best goods are held in common for any individual in order for them to be enjoyed. And so when we talk about racial justice, why it is a common good is to say exactly that if there are aspects of communal life that not all members can share together, it is actually, in fact, the case that no one has them. And that one of the things that we can misunderstand, and and here by we, I mean people who are white, is that because you benefit from certain aspects of a society as it is, you can actually misunderstand how it's not something that would be taken away from you and given to someone else. It's something none of us have because not everybody has it. And I think this should be really obvious to people when it comes to the idea of birth and maternity discrepancies. Because if we're in a society where significant chunks of people face in in a way that no one else in the developed world does difficulties in birth, people seem to forget that every child is a benefit to our society in a way none of us even know when that child's born. Every child that born is born is a chance and a hope about what they contribute to the common good that to deprive them of that chance, to deprive mothers of that chance, 
and to deprive the community uh, the chance to support mothers and children. This is all something we all together suffer. It is an injury to the common good. And I'm wondering if that might be a source of the frustration is people's inability to see how connected their good is to the good of people suffering these disparities. Yeah, I mean, it's like, what's more common than birth and death to us all? I mean, uh, respect and death is like a whole other, you know, topic, but we're all born into this world. You know, sometimes I, I joke with clients that, like, we're not born out of this, like, primordial ooze that just comes out of the earth. Like, the mother is experiencing birth, the father or the partner is experiencing birth, and so is the baby, the baby's experience of birth, I think, is something that we rarely ever think about, but we should, because then it kind of shifts the conversation from, like, oh, the mom just wanted to have, you know, a natural birth and sing to the moon in a tub full of water. It's actually that this family wants this baby to experience coming into the world in peace, love, and joy. And are they being given that option no matter who they are, no matter what location they choose to give birth in? There's nothing more common than wanting to have a peaceful, loving birth experience. Oh, I think that that's a great way to put it. I think we run into, and this is the temptation, there, there's a t- all good ways to put things run into temptations. But the temptation for how people see this is to go, Oh, well, what Rebecca is saying is that people have sort of consumer choices, right? Like you say tomato, I say tomato. You like Colgate, I like Crest, Ford, Chevy, uh, you know, home birth, hospital birth. That's all you're saying, right? And so I think it's very critical how you just put this is to understand birth in those terms is already to, so to speak, sell uh, the whole enchilada out is to, 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 to forefoot the game is that if we're going to have a different understanding about the a, a Catholic way to understand birth, like you said, going back to what Pius the twelfth, uh, excuse me, twelfth, yes, said to the, the midwives that we can't let even the good things that we're advocating be assumed back into that idea. There is something more fundamental going on than consumeristic choice. In order, when we're saying we want mothers to be informed and understand. Uh, the different ways that we can go about being uh, for this baby, for this mother, before, during, and after the birth. Oh, yeah. And we're purely talking, you know, philosophy and theology right now. We're not even getting into, like, the biology, physiology, the neuroscience of, you know, trauma and how traumatic experiences in our earliest forms, even when we're still in the womb, can impact our health and our mental well-being well into adulthood. So that's, <clears throat> that's also another factor as well that I especially like to drive home to clients. Because even, even clients who are seeking, you know, my services or they're thinking about, like, oh, I want to have this home birth because sometimes people have, like, read things on Instagram or even in the case of... Um, Black families, sometimes I get a phone call from a black family, this is actually really common, where they want to choose out-of-hospital birth out of fear, 
it's because they've read these articles saying that they're more likely to die in a hospital. And I have to kind of like go back and really talk to them about why are you making the choice that you're making? Because one based out of fear uh, is, is not going to be good for us in the long run. Well, and I think that that, like you said, here we are like towards the end of the show and uh, we're a constant, you know, claim against us is we get really interesting right at the end of the show and then we have to stop. So, you know, we warm up for like 45 minutes and then we're really hitting it. Um, But exactly this idea of trauma being not only, you know, the random one-off events that happen to your life that you remember, but actually deep-seated ones that you maybe don't have a conscious memory of trauma that happens when you're literally in the womb, trauma that communities carry with them. You know, people will sometimes get antsy about hearing this sort of thing, but we're the group of people, Catholics, who believe in original sin. We believe that there's a primordial trauma that we all have to deal with. So why wouldn't there be trauma associated around birth, even if it's not something you yourself specifically remember why wouldn't that inform the rest of our days? Yeah, and I mean, like, even when I think about myself, it's like, okay, so I was not born uh, during Jim Crow, and I was not born during segregation, but I was born four weeks early, and I had to go to the NICU, and I was had asthma, and was a sickly child. So how much of that was, you know, just pure genetic history um, or bad luck? And how much of that was, well, you know, did the generations before me have access to good health care so that my mother could be healthy enough to have a healthy delivery? And so when we're looking at, you know, things like systemic racism in healthcare, you know, people kind of get jumpy when we want to talk about that. But it's, it's structural. It's, these are, um, you know, systems that were implemented to disenfranchise people for generations and generations. There's also an element of bias and unconscious bias, which we haven't really gotten into. But, you know, another thing I'd like to see doctors and especially like Catholic healthcare systems doing is really looking at the training for doctors and nurses and, you know, implementing bias training and implicit bias training and really talking to black birth professionals, minority families, um, minority midwives to really figure out what are the problems, what are the solutions, and how can we better implement those to serve, you know, the poorest of the poor. And I don't just mean economically, I mean the people who are impacted by these disparities the most. Well, Rebecca, this is, you're right. Like that, that's an entire uh, 20 more minutes to get into, which are uh, vastly important. Um, this has been such a, 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 an important revealing show that we've had uh, that I'm, I'm sorry to see it go, be over. We'll have to have you back on here soon. But if people want to, you know, learn more about what you're talking about, can you direct them to places? I know you have a website, but maybe also articles you've maybe written about this elsewhere. Yeah, so my website is fiatdulaservices.com, obviously named for our lady. Um, there are some really great organizations doing research around this. Uh, Black Mamas Matter Alliance is one of them. I always like to highlight Abide Health Services, which is a black-led um, pro-life midwifery clinic 
down in Texas, um, run by Cecily Smith. Um, she herself is not a midwife, but I think eventually she'll become one. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Um, my Twitter name is at Becca, which people can just Google that. And then um, on Instagram, I'm Fiat Dula, so I talk a lot about a lot of these things online. Well, Rebecca, we, we've loved having you on the show. Thank you for coming on the show. I hope everybody's able to go take advantage of what you just said. Uh, go look up that stuff. But again, uh, thanks for coming on the show, and we'll have to have you back on. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. You too. Folks, this is The Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our souls, in our family, in our cities, our state, our nation, the world, the solar system, the galaxy, the whole kit and caboodle. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back uh, next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.